You're listening to ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine with your host, Northwestern University internist, Dr. Lee Friedman. What are cellular vaccines and how are they helping to personalize cancer therapy? Joining us to discuss cellular vaccine development as cancer therapy is Dr. Donald Siegel, Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine, Vice Chair and Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine, as well as Chief of the Division of Transfusion Medicine at Penn Medicine. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Siegel. Thanks very much. Maybe you could start, I'm not really sure as a general internist, what a cellular vaccine is versus a more traditional vaccine we might give for tetanus or for disaster. What are cellular vaccines? Conventional vaccines are usually thought of as soluble molecules or perhaps attenuated viruses rather than actual live cells, much less cells derived from a patient's body. And another important distinction is that when we think of conventional vaccines, we think about prophylactic use, that is protecting someone against getting whatever it is by giving them this vaccination, you know, as a child or whatever. You certainly wouldn't give a tetanus vaccination to treat an actual infection that's giving you tetanus, or if you had hepatitis, you wouldn't then give a hepatitis vaccine. But the way things stand at at this time with cellular vaccines is that cellular vaccines, which can be designed for treating an individual's cancer, you wouldn't give prophylactically earlier in life because you wouldn't know what kind of cancer they might have and you need to know specific things about their particular cancer in order to design the vaccine. So cellular vaccines are something that that is not given prophylactically but is given when someone has already had a disease and either you're trying to prevent its recurrence or you're actually trying to help treat it. Well, that's a very important distinction and does sound like it's an approach that is really patient-specific, very individualized. Is this something that is classified as personalized medicine? Yes. So personalized medicine means different things to different people. I mean, I guess to some some patients it could mean, you know, a doctor calling them by their first name. But in some circles, personalized medicine means something that takes place at the time of diagnosis where you might do some genetic analysis of the patient to figure out if a certain kind of drug would work in them for whatever disease they have. For example, a patient might have a certain variant of an enzyme that causes a drug to be metabolized too quickly, so that would mean if you knew that, you would give a higher dose of the drug, or you might not give a certain drug at all because it could be dangerous to that patient. So a lot of personalized medicine has to do with you know, you've made the diagnosis of, the, of what is wrong with the patient, but in order to figure out how to treat the patient, you might need to figure out certain characteristics of how they might handle a drug and so forth. And this often involves molecular biology and genetic material? Right. So that would normally involve, you know, sequencing the genes for a certain protein the patient has. Now, the personalized medicine that we're talking about here is, is very, very different. This is where the actual therapy is not something off the shelf. So in the first situation I described, you you might, by analyzing the patient's genome, discover that they should get a certain dose of a drug. But it would still be a drug that you would buy that's off the shelf. It's nothing, it would be the same drug that would work in someone else, perhaps at a different dose. But with cellular therapy and personalized medicine, we're actually manufacturing the therapy from the particular patient. And in other words, in a typical scenario, we would be harvesting cells in a certain way, which I can describe, from a patient. They would go to one of our laboratories, 
And at Penn, we have a couple of these. The main one is called the CVPF, Cellular Vaccine Production Facility. And the patient cells would go to the laboratory, and various things would be done to them, a large scope of different degrees of complication. And the cells would then be either frozen down or given back to the patient. And the point is that these cells are derived from the patient. They wouldn't work in anyone else, and no one else's cells would work in this patient. And so essentially, you're making a drug from the patient's own body materials. Now, in some cases, the cells that we take out, the immune cells, are actually stimulated in the laboratory with pieces of the, of the patient's own tumor. So in this case, it would only even protect that patient from that particular tumor that they had. So there's nothing that can really be any more personal than something like this. And it's, I remember from medical school research uh, taking tumor cells, injecting them into mice and harvesting their antibodies, and we've obviously come a long way from that. Can you elaborate on exactly how this is done? Well, there are several different kinds of approaches to this. So there are two kinds of, I can give you an example of two kinds of studies that are going on right now, I think, that illustrate this. So in our bodies, dendritic cells are cells of the immune system that are responsible for taking up foreign antigens and presenting them to our immune system to get our immune system revved up against them. Macrophage type of cells? Right. Just like that, except they're even more... Uh, macrophages do other things as well, but dendritic cells are really the super-duper antigen-presenting cells. And so in the case of, for example, breast cancer, there is a, a clinical trial going on here at Penn where patients with breast cancer will come to my apheresis unit, which is a I'm not sure if you're familiar with what that is. Apheresis unit, a number of hospitals have these, and typically they are places where patients who have various kinds of uh, autoimmune diseases, they come in and are connected to apheresis devices, which essentially cleanse the blood of, of uh, an autoantibody or something that's mediating the disease. It's just like dialysis, except dialysis is a machine that removes very small things like, like salts, like electrolytes because the kidneys aren't working. In this case, apheresis is a process where large molecules or even cells can be removed. Proteins like antibodies can be removed. Or in the case of a patient who is newly diagnosed with leukemia and needs to have the bulk of the leukemic cells removed rapidly in the middle of the night because their blood is very viscous, we can do leukophoresis, which is to remove these leukemic cells into a bag which is thrown into the the garbage. So that's what apheresis is. But we can also use apheresis to collect cells, good cells from the body that we want to do things with to then later put in, put back in. So in this case, patients with breast cancer come to the apheresis unit as outpatients, and they sit in a chair for about an hour and a half connected to one of these machines, and we collect a fraction of their cells that contain these dendritic cells. These dendritic cells then go back to one of our laboratories where they get incubated with the HER2 new oncogene recombinant protein, which is something that can be highly expressed on breast cancer tissue. And what, what happens is that dendritic cells take in the pieces of this oncogene, and then when these dendritic cells, which are now called dendritic cell vaccine, are put back into the patient, they circulate and educate the patient's immune system to respond immunologically against that oncogene product. So in other words, so that's why it's called a vaccine, because it's inducing the patient to mount an immune response against their tumor. 
so it's not the dendritic cells that, that we put in that go and attack anything, because mm-hmm. that would be sort of a form of passive immunity. This is where the dendritic cells go in and rev up the immune system to attack the tumor. So that's why it's called a vaccine. Very, that makes very good sense. Fascinating. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Lee Friedman, and with me to discuss cellular vaccine development as cancer therapy is Dr. Donald Siegel, Professor of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine at Penn Medicine. Are there other types of examples of this, Dr. Siegel? Well, along the same lines of of the dendritic cell vaccine is another application of this, which is in the area of ovarian cancer treatment. Now, in this case, unlike with breast cancer, where the cancer antigen in many cases is known, that is this HER2 new oncogene. In the ovarian cancer case, it's not really clear what the particular antigen is. So it's not as though you can just make some of it in a test tube, add it to your dendritic cells in a test tube. So in this case, what we do is we actually not only get dendritic cells from the patient by the phoresis method, but at the time the patient was having their tumor debulked from from their bodies, the tumor itself is actually extracted. It's actually just frozen and thawed repeatedly back and forth until it sort of falls apart. And whatever antigens are within the tumor cells are then free to be taken up by these dendritic cells in the lab And it's the same idea. The dendritic cells would go back into the patient and educate the patient as to what these cancer antigens are and hopefully then induce an immune response against the cancer. And I imagine in the second case, the ovarian, it may be a slightly less specific response because you don't have the specific oncogenes targeted. Yes, it can be less specific to particular oncogenes. It could could conceivably also react with other targets as well. Absolutely. How, how successful is this? Do we have uh, some patients or animals who have been tested with these? Yeah. So in the case of ovarian, there's one particular patient that had very advanced ovarian cancer who has responded almost completely to this. Of oh. course, we don't know how long it will last, but mm-hmm. this clearly would not, the, re, the remission would clearly not have happened had it not been for this approach. Now with the breast cancer, there is more data and there's been some publications already. And in that case, it's too short to tell how long-lasting this effect will be. But what can be seen is that there's decreased expression in the breast cancer tissue, in the tumor, of the oncogene, which was something to be expected if the approach was working. And interestingly, the patients developed antibodies against their tumor, which again is another bonus. They're antibodies that fix complement and cause tumor lysis. So this is very, very encouraging. And I should say that I run the units that they do the collection of the cells that are these laboratories, but as many investigators at Penn who conduct these different clinical studies. This particular one I'm referring to in the breast cancer is by Dr. Trinicki, who is one of the oncologic surgeons. And the ovarian cancer study is by George Kukos. That sounds very encouraging. What are the side effects or downsides to this type of therapy? Well, we haven't, haven't really seen severe reactions to the therapy. There always can be you know, hypersensitivity, allergic-type reactions to getting these cells back due to the release of cytokines and so forth. But we haven't seen anything severe, certainly you know, compared with conventional chemotherapy. This doesn't appear to pose any additional risks or, or side effects. 
Are there specific hurdles or obstacles that seem to be standing in the way of developing these uh, to be more widely available? Ironically, the hurdles aren't so technical in nature as one might imagine, given how complicated this all sounds. What really is the issue at this point is funding and sort of having a critical mass of talented people to do the work. One one of the reasons is that because of the nature of this, the fact that this is personalized medicine, it's difficult to get large pharmaceutical companies interested in this because this isn't something they could ever really commercialize because they're interested in something that's generic, that's off the shelf. They don't have access to patients to be able to do the phoresis and get the, the starting material. And it would be very labor-intensive for a large pharmaceutical company to design a therapy that would only work in one particular person. So what we've had to do is rely a lot on NIH as well as on gifts from grateful patients. That's sort of one hurdle. Another sort of interesting hurdle is, from a clinical point of view, is that it's difficult to assess the success of some of these therapies yet because it takes a long time to see if these things work. These things work on a different kind of time scale than conventional treatments, where conventional chemotherapy, you know, you may see in a relatively short time disappearance of a tumor or whatever. Of course, it could come back, whereas in this case, we're hoping for something that's long-lasting, but it may take a while before you see the effects of it. We're still trying to grapple with, you know, uh, being able to define whether the approach has worked or not. In the case of, I described with the breast cancer, there are certain things that you can look for, certain markers to tell you that it appears that the uh, therapy is working, such as the disappearance of certain markers of the tumor. Well, it's interesting. It's uh, unfortunate that the funding is one of the the hurdles because it sounds like a very promising therapy. As you look to the future, assuming the funding is there, are there other types of things we should look for? Well, I think that one of the other approaches I didn't uh, that we use besides the dendritic cell approach, which really is a vaccination type of approach where the dendritic cells induce the body to then produce other cells that attack the tumor, there are cellular methods that we use where we take cells out of a patient's body and engineer them in a certain way so that when they go back in, they directly attack the tumor. Well, I very much want to thank my guest. I'd like to talk to you longer if we had more time. Uh, Dr. Donald Siegel from Penn Medicine, he's been describing what to me seemed to be very promising and exciting possible new therapies involving cellular vaccines in which a patient's own cells are stimulated or changed and then reintroduced into their body as novel ways of attacking cancer. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Medical Breakthroughs from Penn Medicine on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To download this program or access ReachMD on demand, please visit us at ReachMD.com. Thank you for listening.